0: Can you imagine what it's like to be Olivia Rodrigo? The whole world knows all about the breakup that crushed you, thanks to the huge hit songs you wrote about it. Red
1: lights, stop signs. I still see your face in the white cards.
0: They think they know you too. And by the way, all of this is happening when you're 18.
2: I feel obviously so lucky, but sometimes it just feels like it doesn't have to do with me.
0: One person who totally gets it. it Back in the 90s, decades before Driver's License made Olivia a star, and a few years before Olivia was even born, Alanis Morissette blew up with her own raw, honest songs about feeling betrayed.
1: After Jagged Little Pill, you know, everywhere I went, every grocery store, everyone said, when's your next record? I hate men too. When's your next record? Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, everywhere I went, it was when's your next record coming out.
0: Olivia loves Alanis's music. Like, seriously, this song changed my life type of stuff. So she was very excited to meet one of her biggest heroes.
2: I just love how you're so honest and talk about stuff that
1: normally isn't talked about in songwriting. Mm. It's amazing.
0: (laughs) Alanis couldn't wait to get into it either.
1: Well, you're doing the same. I'm excited. I went down many rabbit holes around you knowing, just in general, (laughs) but also just, you know, because I knew I was going to meet you.
0: I'm Christian Horde, music editor for Rolling Stone, and this is Musicians on Musicians, where the artists ask the questions. In this episode, Olivia Rodrigo, And Alanis Morissette. Hey, listeners, I want to take a second to let you know about Allstate's new lower rates. Just a little tip to help you save a lot of money. Better protection for a whole lot less. Go online or call 1 800 Allstate for a quote today. Olivia and Alanis had never met before they got together at a San Francisco warehouse overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Alanis was in the middle of touring for Jagged Little Pill's 25th anniversary, and Olivia was thinking about her first ever live performances. Even though they didn't know each other, they felt like they did, and they hit it off right away in their interview, moderated by Angie Martosio.
2: I remember I was 13, and I was in the car with my parents, and I was listening to Jagged Little Pill, and I remember hearing... Perfect. I, I went and told my music teacher a couple days after. I was like, "People can write songs like that. Like you can say stuff like that mm-hmm. in a song and be so honest and vulnerable like that." And I just remember having my mind blown, and I just completely looked at music and songwriting in a different way. Wow. Um, and what was it about that song?
1: That. Was it was it the perfectionism theme, or yeah. was it just the idea of stream of consciousness? Or um,
2: I mean, I just think that's something that me and all of my friends had. Felt so acutely for so long, and I'd never heard somebody talk about it, even in general and in, in conversation, you know, definitely never in a song that's right. like,
1: you know, so popular. And well, you're doing the same. I'm excited. I'm just, I just went down many rabbit holes around you, knowing oh, God, just that's in general, so scary. but also <laughs> just, you know, because I knew I was going to meet you. So, yeah. yeah, you have that beautiful stream of consciousness, mm. wildly expressed, multiple flavored. Mm. Style of writing. What makes it special for me is when there are layers. So thanks. Oh, I'm
2: mm-hmm. gonna blush. Yeah, I, I just also think it's hard to like sing about what you sing about sometimes too. Maybe it's mm. not hard for you, but as a listener, I was like, oh my god, you must be like so brave. I remember mm. um, I went to uh, see Jackalope Hill on Broadway before oh, cool. um, Great. before lockdown, and that was the first time I heard. It's so unsexy, mm. and. I am just being like, oh my God, I can't believe she's saying all this stuff. Mm. This stuff is so vulnerable mm. and intimate. And like to share that with so many people in such a mm. profound medium,
1: it was just so incredible. Yeah, so I don't know what your process is like around songwriting. For me, when I first write it, it's just for myself. Mm-hmm. It's me alone. Yeah. And then when it's shared publicly, it's no longer mine, actually. Mm-hmm. It's still my story and, and I'm really intrigued when I hear other people's interpretations of it. Mm-hmm because sometimes it's a direct match to what my experience was. Other times it has nothing to do with where I was coming from. It's just sure. been beautifully co-opted by whoever's listening. Right. But the process does start with it just being very intimate, literally alone, physically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people have said to me very generously, like, you just did, like, wow, that's so brave. And I, I wonder what part of it is brave. Because I guess the sharing of it publicly, in theory, is brave just doesn't feel brave to me. <laughs> it yeah. just feels like a mandatory experience to the point where if I'm not doing that, if I'm not expressing myself in that way, I'd probably get sick really fast.
2: Mm, that's fascinating.
1: Yeah. What yeah. about you? When you're, is it a mandatory thing? Like, if you're not writing or moving or expressing or designing, do you start eating your own hand? <laughs> or, like, how, how does that work for you? How's um, your...
2: Process. Yeah, I write all the time. I try to write every day. I think it's just so important. And Does the same it feel way brave I, when
1: you're doing it? Does it? Do you feel like, wow, I'm brave?
2: Um, or are you, are you no, just... No, <laughs> I, I think I'm the same way as I write solely for myself. I think if I try to like sit down at the piano and be like, I'm going to write a song that everyone likes and that like resonates yeah, with people. It's and, too heavy. Oh no, it's never yeah, any good. It's a disaster. But uh, I think the brave thing that I recognize in your music is how honest you are with yourself. I don't think nice. sharing it with people is the brave nice. thing. Nice, thank on, you for that on, distinction. That's and, so generous. On second thought... Yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, and and I actually think if there is a moment of bravery in my own personal experience, it's how willing I am to not lie to myself about the mm -hmm. scary things or the Mm -hmm. ugly things or the the shadow, dark, swampy things, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that's empowering for people to hear you talk about that stuff, too. I'm a really big fan of going deeper all the way to the bottom. Like, you know, whether it's me attempting to gain clarity on what my agenda really is Mm -hmm. or what am I really hiding mm. by being, you know, defensive? Mm-hmm. Like, underneath this defensiveness or under this bravado, what's really going on underneath
2: mm. you? So have you always been like that? Yes. <laughs> have you? I think me too. Yeah. yeah.
1: A I'm curious too. observer. Mm-hmm.
2: But, uh, yeah, I've been really trying to put out songs and, like, you know, realize that it's not mine anymore. I think that's super important, like, what you were talking about and try to not take you know, other people's experiences or projections onto it personally, because that's, Mm. you know, that's the point of art, and like, can't tell you how many, like, songs I've listened to, and been like, oh my gosh, that artist, like, totally wrote it for me in my situation, and they never did, you know what I mean? No,
0: they did. No, they did, (laughs) right? 100%, yeah, they knew
2: every minutia of what I was going through. But, like, you know, that's what's beautiful about art, is like, it's like, you can just fill in the gaps with pieces of your own life, and I think by, like, trying to feel like you can control what people, you know, project onto it, it just loses magic.
1: And the projection is sometimes intense, but you know, we're I feel like people in the public eye and artists in particular are social activists by mistake, because Mm. we're these screens upon which people project everything. Mm. They project light, they project what's wrong, they project what they hate. And my dad told me when I was really young, he said, sweetheart, there's three ways people will perceive you in the world. They're gonna love you and you can do no wrong, they're gonna hate you and you can do no right, or they just won't give a shit.
0: <laughs> and he's
1: like, it's gonna be one of those three, so, you know, enjoy. Oh my God. <laughs> so, I know I, I kept that in mind, you know, cause there are, you know, ultimately people who are close to us, we wanna feel seen and understood. And Of course to some degree, but it is an invitation. You know, every night on stage we're on tour right now and it's just this invitation to whatever you see up here, whatever you're perceiving, you know, this is for you for the next hour and a half and it's for me, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like a, I don't know what your experience is performing live, but it's like a churn, it's like just taking the energy and really kind of alchemically Mm. crunching it out of my body but also
2: Mm -hmm. getting, getting it out. It's funny you say that, I've, yeah. I've really like never played like a proper show before in my life, yeah. which is kind of strange, because I, you know, I put out my record in quarantine. Right, and so, how was that? You know, honestly, I kind of loved it. I like put out my first song, which did really well, and I didn't expect any of that sort of you know, success so early on. And I think, had I not just been doing the same thing that I had always been doing and writing songs in my bedroom, maybe I would have gotten a little more in my head about it than I did. And so mm-hmm. it was really nice to have that freedom to be like, you know what? Just gonna like do the same thing I've always been doing, and, and I'm I think gonna put that's this why. out and be
1: wearing sweatpants. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And every and, so it's released and received by a lot of people in a very excited way. So, yeah. so how did you navigate that at first? I mean, you're still in it, obviously. Yeah. Um,
2: I mean, I think we had sort of a similar experience where kind of had like a really successful debut album, yes. which is sort of weird. And it, at least for me, it was kind of it felt super quick. It felt like yeah. Overnight, and you know, I've been working and writing songs since I was like five years old. It definitely wasn't overnight, okay. but the like, oh, I'm writing songs in my bedroom. She's like, oh my gosh, like lots of people know this song was mm. really quick for me, mm. and uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a strange feeling. I I feel obviously so lucky, but sometimes it just feels like it doesn't have to do with me. Sometimes it's impersonal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I always think that creativity is sometimes really, like, magical and, and celestial. And if, you know, an amazing song comes through you and you're a vessel for an amazing song, that's awesome. Right. And sometimes, even if you write a bad song, it doesn't have anything to do with you. you kind of yeah, just, like... Yeah, it's just moving through. Yeah, yeah. I, I try to, like, not attach a lot of ego to it. That's
1: deeply wise. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it is impersonal in a way, you know? Yeah. It's almost like, in some ways, we're writing about the anger or the mm-hmm. grief or the... You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not personal. How, that's how I see it. How did yeah, you like,
2: yeah. handle, you mm-hmm. know, when your first songs started coming out, did you have any hard time dealing with criticism or, you know, that really
1: sudden, suddenly yeah. in the spotlight? And, All and, eyes on yeah, fishbowl. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, there was a lot of bullying and a lot of jealousy and a lot of, you know, people whom I'd adored my whole life, you know, being mean girls. And somewhere around 22, I stopped reading everything
2: mm-hmm. because it,
1: it wasn't really relevant to my personal growth. And my personal evolution, I had enough people around me who would point out blind spots, whether I wanted them to or not. <laughs> you know, they'd point out stuff that would help me be more graceful in relationships, and that was plenty. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I love therapy, so I'm, you know, I've, I've always had a huge team of therapists. Yes. But at the end of the day, it became, who do I feel seen by? How are you navigating it? I've had a very similar experience to you. Mm-hmm. Putting out music in the age
2: of, of social media can be really daunting too, and I think. Yeah. People hold young women sometimes to an incredibly unrealistic standard. Yes. And I think that just having that separation is really important and realizing that that's not real life. That kind of world that is created online and, and, and on articles and stuff yeah. like that is just one facet of this very yeah. big human
1: existence. People ask me what I think of Instagram and everything, and I, I just think it's like a storefront in New York at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's presentational, right? Yeah. It's
2: just hard, I think for me, I like I had my first Instagram when I was like 12 years old, and so I had all of my adolescence in front of people, and I think it's hard to sometimes differentiate who you are as a person versus who you are as like a persona on Instagram, and mm-hmm. for a long time I had a hard time sort of separating those two things, and I thought I could be kind and, and smart and have all of these awesome things, but if I didn't showcase them on Instagram and nobody saw it, then I didn't truly have Did it exist? the them. tree falls
1: in the <laughs> yeah! forest? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Exactly. Right. I mean, and there are so many differences just in our generations, too, and I'm thinking about the social media aspect and to what degree self is defined in today's Mm -hmm. era through that. You know what is something I think is
2: really interesting, too, is that you used to be a child actor, and so was I, which I think is such a cool parallel. Do you think that acting for you helped you be more, like, in touch with your emotions in
1: songwriting? I think, like, in a certain way, that's how I felt. What made it? so that acting helped you in your expression process?
2: I'm not sure. I think it, it helped me be able to, like, tap in to yeah. certain emotions like, like that, access. maybe. Mm-hmm. Or I remember actually going okay. to my first acting lesson when I was, like, 11 years old and crying in this scene and feeling, like, such the sense of catharsis. So, I don't know. I think that translates into music as well. I, like, wrote a couple songs on my record, literally, like, crying at my piano, Mm -hmm. like, you know, really tapping into that and, like you said, it's about being honest with yourself about the kind of yucky, uncomfortable emotions.
0: We'll hear more from Alanis Morissette and Olivia Rodrigo after a quick break. Stay with us. Hey listeners, I just wanted to take a second to let you know about Allstate's new lower rates. Just a little tip to help you save a lot of money. Better protection for a whole lot less. Go online or call 1-800-ALLSTATE for a quote today. Welcome back. This is Rolling Stone's Musicians on Musicians. We've been listening to Alanis Morissette speaking with Olivia Rodrigo. Here they talk about how both of their careers exploded after releasing their very first, very personal albums, partially inspired by Heartbreak.
2: I never felt as deep a sadness as I did when I was truly, truly heartbroken and devastated. And I just think heartbreak is so universal and also the feeling that lots of humans feel the most deeply. Like putting driver's license out was such a unique experience because I mean, I've lived this sort of weird life. I like, grew up on a set, you know, from the time I was 12 years old and didn't go to school like everyone else did. And sometimes in the back of my head are those words. I was like, are oh, my songs going to be relatable? And when I put out driver's license about this really hard time in my life and in my teenagehood, I watched it just affect so many people, regardless of sexual orientation or, or gender or age. Like, there would be four-year-old guys that would come up to me and be like, wow, that really, you know, struck me. And, mm. and, and even if it, they weren't going through a situation like that, they were like, oh, it takes me right back to when I was in high school and I went through my first heartbreak. And I think that was so magical for me to not only see how universal that feeling was, but also how, how magical music can be, and it can take you back to a specific mm. point in time. You can like hear everything and taste everything and smell everything, and that's yes. like so unique to music.
1: I think love and anger and pain mm-hmm. <laughs> are energies that move worlds. You know, They open things up. They start the currents moving again if something's stuck. Like if we're depressed or riddled with anxiety and they usually go hand in hand, in order to move out of that a tiny bit, maybe conjuring a little anger is going to help. Or, you know, a lot of times we push grief aside. So, what music does? What your music does? What I love for my music to be able to provide is just this intimacy, this moment of of, of really asking all of us, what's really happening? Mm-hmm. Just for three and a half minutes, what's happening mm-hmm. for reals? and it's an invitation for our humanity. There's this whole current of what it is to be human that is overlooked by culture, and enter music, and music is this giant allowance for whatever messy, gorgeous, luminous, terrifying thing is going on. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a permission button.
2: Yeah. Pressure of sophomore album is something that I've been thinking about a lot, too, and I don't know if you felt that pressure. Or... Yeah, no,
1: I basically, yeah. after Jagged Little Pill, you know, Everywhere I went, every grocery store, everywhere. So, when's your next record? I hate men too. When's your next record? <laughs> so I didn't want to write it right away. Mm. So I went to Canada to see my friend, Tim Thorney, who's now passed away. Mm. I just felt so loved by him. So I was in his studio, ready to start writing the second record, and I turned to him and I was weeping. And I just said, I don't want to write right now. And it has, It's not some big news. I just don't want to write, you know? And he said, okay, well, let's go see a movie. So him having taken me off the hook in some way, and then just going to see a movie, I came back that night and I wrote a song called Heart of the House, mm. which started the process of writing it. But it's daunting to follow up a record, and there's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. to rise to some odd occasion and bar. I don't know, just for me, it's about snapshots of what's happening in your life now, including that pressure. Let's write a song about yeah. sophomore pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: And did you have a hard time with your relationships being pulled apart and, and poked and prodded
1: and wanting like details of your personal life that you didn't feel comfortable giving. Yeah. When I write songs, I'm not writing them to ruin someone's life. Sure. You know, And if I were doing that, I'd probably give names and addresses <laughs> and go get them for me. None of these songs are written to eviscerate someone or seek overt revenge, although I think revenge fantasy is awesome. Yeah. You know, revenge <laughs> fantasy is everything to me, you know, I don't know the degree to which you, you have a, a formal mission or intentionality or whether you're just busy living it, you know. <laughs> um, but something about the servicefulness of showing up, of continuing to show up, keeps me here. Mm. And I'm curious, what what would keep you here? Like, if you see yourself making music when you're 75, do you have a sense of what would keep you going? Yeah, I think about
2: that all the time. Sometimes it seems seems a little strange why someone would...
1: Want this and like bring it upon themselves. Yeah, slightly just, it's like such insane. a
2: weird life. Oh, it's, it's like it's
1: cruel. You know, we can talk about fame for days. Yeah. But the idea of being looked at alone is already outside of the animal experience. Of course. I think of that on stage while being on camera, any award ceremony or whatever it is. Yeah. As an animal, we're constantly checking every room like, where's the saber toothed tiger? <laughs> I safe? Am I safe? So all of a sudden, thousands. Right, It's already a suspended reality of there's something unusual about this on a purely animal level. And mm-hmm. yet we stay at the podium or we stay in front right. and we hold that energy. And it's a lot. I know.
2: I always think about it's yeah. like to like want to be the president of the United States, you like have to have this weird thing. Because it's, it's so much <laughs> pressure and criticism and so much you have to do every day. And I don't know. I, I just don't really know that answer still. I think... What keeps me going is that experience of just writing a song in your bedroom and being like, wow, that perfectly captures how I feel, better than anything I could have
1: said in a conversation. That's like a writer imperative too. It's like, well, I must write, mm. I, you know, I write, therefore I am, <laughs> you know, yeah. so there's that element too. But seeing the profound effect that some of the songs can have on people across from me just really keeps me, keeps mm. me in the game.
2: I love that. Yeah, Yeah, I'm excited to see that and play shows and get to meet people in in real life that, you know, have been affected by the songs that I've written. How has touring been? I'm just curious. I've never been on tour and also, I'm very excited for the day when I get to be a mom like you and just like wondering how that is
1: with, you know, touring with your kids and being on the road. Well, if anyone asks you whether you want to go on tour with your three children during COVID, (laughs) you should say no. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Hell no, in fact. Touring is the greatest and yeah. I've been touring on and off since I was 15 years old and mm-hmm. I, I am a fide road dog, yeah. like an alley cat road dog constitution of, you need me to sleep in that corner, I'll sleep in that corner, <laughs> just keep doing this, put me in the ring coach. So I think it's a kind of animal that loves traveling to that degree, a different mm-hmm. country, a different city every day. But then there's the law of diminishing returns. Yeah. So it's just about touring enough. And is that something you see in your future, touring? Oh, yeah, Touring like a road dog?
2: Yeah. (laughs) I'm curious to see how that's going to work for me. I think I'm very, like, energetically sensitive sometimes. And so I think it's just going to be a a learning experience for me. Got to bring
1: all those transitional objects. Your essential oil and your blankie. Sure. But you seem to have that highly sensitive, empathic temperament.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like I'd regret it if I didn't ask you if you had any advice for me growing up in this industry.
1: Wow. Um, if I could have done anything differently, I would have sure. had a few more friends around me. Mm. Period. Someone where you could vent with them and process with them and then move on to the next wild ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was lovely to journal about it, but I would have, if I could go back in time, I would have conjured a few really deeply loving, unconditionally caring people around me to mm. just check in with me. Do you have that? I hope so. Yeah. Let's make sure you have that. (laughs) And I'll send you a kit. The survive on the road kit for the sensitive soul. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. So wonderful.
0: You'll find a version of this conversation and many others in the November issue of Rolling Stone on newsstands right now. Musicians on Musicians is produced by Jasmine Morris and me. Executive producers are Gus Wenner, Jason Fine, Simon Vazek levinson Brian Shaka, and myself. Interview by Angie Martosio. Our senior producer is Jasmine Morris. Mixing by Jarrett Floyd. Bridget Shelsey is our production manager. Fact-checking by Jonathan Bernstein. Dan Helpern is executive producer for Rolling Stone Video. And Kimberly Alea is co-executive producer. For Rolling Stone, I'm Christian Horton.
2: How many tattoos do you have?
1: I don't know, One, two, three, four, <laughs>
2: five. That's
1: probably like 10. Oh, love. What was the first one you got? I got one in a romantic situation, oh. which I covered. <laughs> <laughs> don't get a tattoo unless you've been married 47 years. Oh, no. And then you should oh. still regret it.
0: <laughs> Step into the world of power, loyalty,